0: I want you to turn this morning to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 5 says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them. But now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. It describes in those verses an old man, and it describes all of the, the works, the deeds of that old man. And it says to put off the old man and to put on the new man. Now, if you keep reading, it tells you the, the characteristics of that new man. It says "Where there, in verse 11, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And it goes on to describe more there about the new man. And, and as it describes that old man and the new man, you know, Paul in his, in his epistles has much to say about the old man and the new man, and the reality is that when somebody becomes a believer in Christ, there are spiritual changes that take place in that person, right? You're not the same person that you were before. Now, you look the same, um, you probably... F- feel the same in in you know in the physical sense but there are some very real spiritual changes that the scripture describes and and here as it describes this old man this new man you see that the two are very different right the old man it describes those those works those deeds of the old man and you see the description of the new man is is very different from that now it says of the new man in verse 10 that the new man is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. And when it talks about the image of him that created him, that may, that may remind you of all the way back in the book of Genesis. Uh, when God first created man and he created Adam, in fact, go back there, go back to uh, The very beginning of the book of Genesis. Look at Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Now, it describes there how God created man in his image. And, you know, there's some interesting things about verses 26 and 27 there. Uh, you notice it says, "...and God said, let us make man in our image." Now, when God says that, it's not, it's not God speaking to the angels. In fact, angels are not created in the image of God. They don't share the image of God in the way that man does. But rather, it's God speaking to Himself. And notice, He calls Himself an us, right? It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit there in in conference with one another. And it's God speaking to Himself as us, that three in one. And He says, let us make man in our image. Now, he says, let us, but you see, when you get to that word image, it's a it's a singular word, right? So you have God, who is three in one, let us make man in our, but it's one singular image. And God created Adam in his image. Now, when it says he created him in his image, if... If God has these, you know, these three members of the Godhead that have one image, and Adam is created after that image, what we would expect to see in Adam is we would expect to see the same kind of thing. We would expect to see these three parts that make Adam who he is. Uh, in fact, if you go if you go over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we can see it, it clearly tells what these three parts of man are that correspond to those three members of the Godhead. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, it says, And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you see the word that's repeated there in verse 23. He he says I, "I, the very God of peace sanctify you wholly. He wants God to, to sanctify, to set apart the believer in every part of them wholly, in, in the whole. And so he says, I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body. And so he's defining for us here what it is that makes up man as a whole. Now, we we live in a time where, uh, you know, certainly through through observation of things, uh, we've learned all kinds of things about creation. We've learned all kinds of things about the the human body, for instance, and what makes up man physically. But realize that the whole of man is not to be found in looking at at you know, the systems of the body and looking at the cells and and those kinds of things, that's only one part of man. You see here it describes three parts of man, a spirit, a soul, and a body. Now it's interesting that the scripture uses that order because often uh, in the world they'll refer to these three parts of man, but they'll say the body, soul, and spirit. Right? And the world puts the emphasis, even when they recognize that there is something other than the body, they still put the emphasis on the body, on that, on that flesh. Uh, that's because the world has a, a carnal mind, a fleshly mind that's oriented toward the physical. But you see, you see where the order that the, the Scripture places on those things. He says, I pray that your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the reason that the Apostle Paul has to pray that here, when God created Adam, and he created Adam as a spirit, soul, and body, Adam was in that, that perfect image of God. But you realize that when Adam sinned, and there were some changes that took place in him. Right? Had Adam not sinned, he had a, a a body that and and there was a a tree you remember uh, god told them not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that was the sin that that adam committed and of course you know that eve technically sinned first but eve was not the the head in that in that relationship adam was the head it was under adam that god put the dominion of the earth and so Death did not enter into the creation through Eve. It entered through Adam. All right? But when Adam sinned, there were some changes that took place, and he no longer was in the perfect image and likeness of God. Now, there was still some degree of that image retained, so that even much later, when God, uh, for instance, you know, gives gives instruction in the law about not murdering, one of the reasons He gives for not committing murder is because the people around you still retain some of that image and likeness of God, and just like in you know in pagan religions where they have their idols. To, to deface that idol would be to dishonor their God because it 's an image of their God well if man's made in the image of God then to to murder another man or, or you know murder a, a fellow human being is to dishonor God because that person is in the image and likeness of God. Uh, think about that as you as you you know make decisions how to treat people around you, but the image that image that that, uh, that, that we have of God is a corrupted image. All right? And it's corrupted by sin. And so when Adam sinned, he took on a sin nature. And that's that's how we come into the world when Adam and Eve had a son Seth, it says that he was after Adam's likeness, not after God's image and likeness anymore, but after Adam's I- image and likeness. And that sin nature that Adam took on was then passed on to his, to his children. And from them it was passed on eventually to us. We come into this world uh, with a, a nature towards sin, a, a, a bent, a tendency towards sin. Uh, we don't. We don't come into this world. Certainly, we come into the world innocent in the sense that that you know a little baby, a newborn baby, has not actually committed sin. But they have a nature. They, given enough time, they're they're going to commit sin. Um, that that corruption that entered into that image is something that entered all parts of that being. Uh, it, it's not just that the, that the physical body became corrupted, but the soul and spirit became corrupted as well. Uh, you see here in 1 Thessalonians 5.23, where Paul is, is praying for these saints, it's not just that their body would be preserved blameless, not just that they wouldn't commit sin with their body, but that their whole spirit and soul and body would be preserved blameless. Uh, sometimes people treat it as if, uh, phys- you know, there's, a, there's a, a very old false religion and something that has entered into many areas of, of Christianity and many many forms of Christian teaching take parts of this false doctrine and use it, a, a system called Gnosticism. And Gnosticism is sometimes referred to as dualism in the sense that Gnosticism uh, you know, puts in, in place a, a conflict between the physical and the spiritual. And what different forms of Gnostic teaching say is essentially that everything physical is bad and everything spiritual is good. But you realize, I hope, uh, from the Word of God, that everything spiritual is not good. In fact, everything physical is not bad either. Uh, the devil is spiritual, right? Uh, the, the, uh, he's called the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. And the, the angels are spirits. God makes his angels spirits and realize not all angels are good angels, Right? There's angels that are holy angels that are in obedience to God, and there are angels that have rebelled against God. And so just because something is spiritual does not mean that it is good. In fact, the, the lost person has a spirit, right? But they have a they have a corrupted spirit. And if, if even if even believers in Christ here, Paul has to pray that their spirit and soul would be preserved blameless, uh, that, that tells you something uh, about the, the corruption that's there in the spirit and soul. Uh, by the way, some go over to the book of Hebrews, go to Hebrews chapter 4, uh, some people question whether there's really a, a difference between the soul and the spirit. Uh, both the soul and the spirit would have some similarities in the sense that that neither one of them is physical, right? The soul and the spirit are are not, you know, they're not a part of the the physical body. Um, Some people like to group those together as one thing. But, of course, you know, when you read a verse like we just were at in 1 Thessalonians 5, uh, where it says, Spirit and soul, and body, you see it's treating them as as separate things. We see that also here in Hebrews chapter 4. In verse 12, it says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. There it describes the word of God, and it says that the word of God, it likens it to a sword, it says it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and what it gives as the evidence of the fact that it's sharper than any two-edged sword is that it, it divides between soul and spirit. Now, a two-edged sword can divide your flesh, right? That's the purpose of that sword, is to divide flesh from flesh. But there's no two-edged sword that can divide soul from spirit, but the Word of God can. Now, you know, when it comes to distinguishing between the soul and spirit, uh, generally, when when you follow those terms through the Bible, you'll find the soul most associated with the mind. In fact, you see it right, right here in this verse. Um, the soul is is most associated with the with the mind, and the spirit is most associated with the heart. So, when you think of it in those terms, the difference between the mind and the heart um, th- that's what you can think of as the difference between the soul and the spirit. Now, when it comes to any particular thought that you might have or whatever and trying to determine, well, is that a a function of the the soul or the spirit? That's a very difficult thing to do. But here it describes how the Word of God can divide between them. By the way, often in the Bible, uh, you'll find that there there are patterns in Scripture. Here in this passage, you see it says, "...to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit." And then it says and of the joints and marrow. Now, joints and marrow would be part of the physical body, but often the Bible will use parts of the physical body to relate to spiritual things. Here it's obvious, it's not talking about, the the Word of God is not going to divide your joints and marrow, right? In the physical sense. But rather, it's likening the soul and spirit to joints and marrow. Now marrow is something that that is inside of your bones, and and likewise the uh, the spirit there is inside of you. Uh, the the soul would match up with the joints there, you know. And it's it's interesting how, uh, for instance, in First Thessalonians five, it talked about the spirit, the soul, and the body. Um, you know, in in uh, we could have read back in Genesis. You don't need to turn there, but. In Genesis 2, where it gives it gives more detail about the creation of man, it talks about how God formed Adam's body from the dust of the ground, and He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. Now, the word spirit in the Bible is the word breath. In in uh, Hebrew, it's the word ruach, which is which is breath or wind. Uh, in in um, the New Testament, you often have the word pneuma, okay? Pneuma is the word spirit, which also means wind or, or air. Uh, when you say something is pneumatic, what does that mean? It means it runs on air, right? Uh, and, and pneuma is the word spirit. And when it says back there in Genesis that God breathed into Adam's nostrils the breath of life, that was, that's more than just just, you know, God giving him CPR, he's putting a spirit into Adam, and then it says he became a living soul. Now, with the, with the joining together of that body and that spirit, then you had Adam become a living soul. Uh, the, the soul, in many ways, you can think of as kind of the joint of that body and spirit, It it sort of links the two together. And that's why you often see the soul in the middle. When it it says, your whole spirit and soul and body. Um, in, In those passages that describe those three parts of man, you almost always will find the soul in the middle of those things. And so, you see, it talks about the soul and spirit, the joints and marrow. And then it says, is a discerner of the thoughts... That would be the function of the soul, and the intents of the heart, that's the function of the spirit. And so there is a difference between the soul and spirit, okay? Um, Now, so so there's these three parts, the spirit, soul, and body, that all became corrupted in the fall. And again, by nature, we have a corrupted spirit, soul, and body. But if we go back to where we started go back to Colossians chapter 3 and and so now that, now we have a little bit of a little bit of framework on which to understand some of these verses that talk about the new man and the old man of course that old man is is an old it's that old nature it's that nature that we have that sin nature that we that we come into the world with but in Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, it says, "...lie not one to another, seeing ye have put off the old man with his deeds." You've put off the old man with his deeds. Um, the, the word that's used there, to put off, is the, the same kind of wording you would use to, to take off a, a suit of clothes. All right, You put off that clothing. And it says, it says that, uh, as Paul writes these believers here at Colossae, he says, you've put off the old man with his deeds. And he gives that as the reason that you ought not to do these things that he described that are, are uh, associated with the old man. If you've put off the old man, then don't do the things that the old man does. He says, you've put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Do you realize that that when you became a believer in Christ, when you trusted the gospel, there was a a restoration that took place. A, A restoration, when it says that the new man is renewed, it means to be made new again right? So, and it it really, as it describes, it's renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. It's going all the way back to Adam and that, that perfect image that Adam was created in. And you see here, this new man is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Now, there's not a physical change that goes along with that. There's nothing that changes physically in your body when when you believe the gospel, but there are some spiritual changes that take place with regard to the body and the relation between the body and and the soul and the spirit. Uh, In fact, for the the lost man to, to refer to the body, soul, and spirit really is the proper order because that's you know, that's the order that they in their mind uh, put on things. It's that carnal, that fleshly mind, that, that mind that's oriented toward the flesh. But still in the book of Colossians, go, go back to uh, Colossians chapter 2 and look at verse 9. Actually, go back to, um, go back to verse 8. It says, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. The Godhead is that that." Father, Son, Holy Spirit, those three parts of God. And here it says that in Jesus Christ, all the fullness of that Godhead... D- uh dwells in bodily form verse 10 says and ye are complete in him which is the head of all principality and power in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of christ now there it describes the the state of the believer and you see it, it he warns about this philosophy and vain deceit. Now, what what the philosophy and vain deceit and the traditions of man that he describes there, uh, what those things are about are about trying to find some way to reform the old man. Now. When when the Apostle Paul in in Colossians, and we'll look at some other passages about the old man, but when he talked about the old man, he didn't say that you've made the old man better. What he says is you've put off the old man and put on the new man, right? It's not that the old man has been renewed. When it says that that you've been renewed after the image of him that created him, uh, it's not that God took the old man and made it into a new man, Rather, the, the old man is just condemned and the old man is to be put off. And there's a new man that's, that's created in righteousness and true holiness to be put on. And what philosophy and, and this vain deceit that it talks about, it's vain deceit because it thinks that you can somehow make the old man something other than what it is. Uh, this, this philosophy and vain deceit, all the, all the, the self-help, philosophies and things that tell you that you can you can overcome sin and you can overcome who you are through the power of positive thinking through these various things it's vain deceit it's vain because it's it's empty and it's fruitless right and and for every you may be able to get rid of some bad habits through that but you aren't going to get rid of sin through that right and and it's deceit Because it tells you something that isn't true. It tells you that the old man is capable of reform. It tells you that the old man can pick himself up by his bootstraps, make himself better, and make him into into something that's acceptable to God. But what what, uh, the Bible presents to us here is something very different. First of all, it tells us that it's in Jesus Christ that you find the fullness of, of the Godhead bodily. You aren't going to find fullness in yourself, which is what these traditions of men teach, but that fullness is in Christ, and for the believer, the believer is complete in Him. Not complete in your ability, not complete in, in you know, what you can do to make yourself better, but you're complete in Christ. And complete means complete. Uh, we, often, we often think about ourselves. The reason we, we get drawn into that philosophy and vain deceit is because we get the fo- our focus off of what God's Word says about who the believer is in Christ, and we start looking at, at you know, how we see ourselves in the flesh, and we say, I'm not complete. Um, there's, there's something I have, to, I have to work on. There's something I have to make better. Uh, how can I be complete when I'm when I'm still doing these things? But it, what does the scripture say? Ye are complete in Him. Hi, I'm Richard Church, the teacher here on Verse by Verse. I'm glad you've listened to our podcast today, and I would like to let you know that if you have any questions about anything you've heard here, you can contact me by email at richard at richardchurch.com or by telephone 608-339-9522. I also encourage you to check out our church website at www.